Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello, I'm ready to be a science expert again. Oh, good. I'm so glad. And we're also joined by resident everyman, Sam Schultz. What's up? It's me. Your boy. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about science. I know about Kermit the Frog. That's true. I know a lot about him. Do you want to tell people about... Your other, I have another podcast that I do with Matt Gatos, <laughs> who also works for Complexly. Uh, yeah. It's called Commitment, and in it, me and Matt are watching literally every single still existent piece of Muppets media that we can mm-hmm. get our hands on. We're like eleven episodes in, and we're only to like nineteen seventy one or something, and so it's the rest <laughs> of my life now. All right, but it's very well. Fun. There's a lot of it. There's you're never gonna that's that's what you want. You don't want your podcast to run out of content. No, you want to die. You want to die doing this podcast. Recently it was it was released that Jeff Bezos will be on board Blue Origin's first flight to space or something. <laughs> and I wanna I, I wanna that. know what it would take to get you on that rocket ship with Jeff Bezos. Oh my god. I think I would have to be paid. <laughs> Two hundred thousand dollars. Wow, so low. He's got ex- so got yeah. so rich. He's so rich, but he doesn't. I guess like more well, would be good, but I don't think Jeff Bezos would be paying me. I don't. Yeah, I don't think yeah. he'd want me there. 
right? It's just like, it's your lowest price. You don't have to tell Jeff your lowest price, but you have to tell me your lowest price. Yeah. <laughs> yes, if you paid me $200,000 and gave me a ticket to that rocket, I would ride and listen to Jeff Bezos talk about whatever Jace, Jeff Bezos talks about. They come back. They're coming back, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as everything goes according <laughs> to plan. Okay. That's why my price is higher, because I'm just not 100% confident that anybody's coming home. I'm not saying that there's a high chance of something going wrong, but a higher chance than like going to the grocery store. I guess I, I'm just thinking my price to like go to Mars forever with Jeff Bezos, not there. Very, very high. Couldn't yeah. be paid mm-hmm. enough for that. I don't know. I think I'd be yeah. too scared, actually. I don't know if I would do it. There's a price at which you can overcome your fear. What about just some free podcast buzz marketing? <laughs> that would be great, yeah. If Jeff Bezos <laughs> let me on the front page of Amazon, advertise my yeah. all my various podcasting projects, then then sure. Actually, I would do it for that. That's true. Yeah, actually, I was going <laughs> to say that I wouldn't do it for any price, but now that you've said, like, can I put SciShow Tangents on the front page of Amazon? Yes, yeah. I would do it for that price. Absolutely. Kathy would be so mad at me. She would, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, Hank, no. There's a lot, like, this is a lot. It's a great time commitment, and also you have a child. How, how long is he up there for? Well, you got to get there. Yeah, you got to sure. travel. I'm sure there's some days of prep time, maybe a little, I don't know, if there's training involved. It would kind of suck if you died in a rocket explosion with Jeff Bezos, because you'd really be like a lot of paragraphs (laughs) down. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't make it into most of the articles about it. Also present, Sam Schultz. (laughs) Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory, but also for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding to them as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sari. A fruit, although cute, is a very weird word whose meaning is dissected by a lot of nerds. And botanically, it's clear what's being conferred, but at the market, it's blurred and kind of absurd. Looking at anatomy, these are all egg parts. Acorns, peas, cucumber, check the charts. But there are also less brain-bendy counterparts, like the berries or melon that you put in your carts. So I guess what I'm saying is that fruits spread seeds, but if they're savory, they're vegetables to suit our needs, like socially or legally, as we're out here signing deeds. Just use words as best you can. Don't get stuck in the weeds. I don't even know what to call those anymore. Are they songs? Are they poems? Are they raps? I don't really know where the boundaries of poetry are. Yeah, the the boundaries of poetry are wherever. This is the thing about poetry. They're wherever Mm. you want to put them. And that was lovely. And the amount of uh, poetry talent we have on this podcast is kind of astounding. (laughs) You know, it's like (laughs) I I I basically threw you both in the water and we're like, you're poets now. And then you just hit it out of the park every time. I don't understand. Congratulations, Sarah. I'm very impressed Mm -hmm. by your poem and our topic for the day is fruit, which you have just said in your poem is easy to define, despite the fact that we spend a whole lot of time arguing about what it is. So botanically, it's easy to define. If yeah. you if you ask a botanist, what is a fruit? There is a, a sentence and it's like that. But the problem is, is that words are messy and we use words to describe the world around us. Right. And then we've started layering on additional meanings of fruit and vegetable. Well, I'm going to guess that we had the word fruit before we had figured out the botanical definition of fruit. Hmm. Like fruit was a like was a word and then we were like a, like most fruits were 
fruits. And so we ca- started calling fruits fruits. <laughs> Most fruits were these seed-containing ova things. And, and while there were also lots of things that were those seed-containing ovum things but weren't fruits— so, but mm-hmm. but we were like, well, they, they are mostly this, and so we put that word on that thing. And so the botanical definition is clear and scientific and nice, and it is what I like about definitions. And then the other thing is like, we just whatever it feels like. Yes, yeah. You look at you look at something at a market, and you're like, does this feel like a fruit it's to me? Fruity. And then yeah. if so, then you're like, I would like to buy this fruit. What's a berry? A berries are a kind of fruit. There there are subcategories of fruit depending on. Like the the structure, so fruit are like the reproductive organs, the sexual organs mm-hmm. of plants. The ovary is what like swells up around the seed, which is like the fertilized bit. Mm-hmm. Berries are defined as fruits where it's like fleshy with one or many seeds, so there's no core and it's like technically completely edible. So like you could eat a blueberry outside, for example. Okay, um, but then there are also Peepos, I think is how you say it, which Peepos. are berries with a hard skin, yeah. like mm-hmm. watermelons. And there are droops, which is just one seed surrounded by flesh. So like a droop is like a cherry or a plum or a peach. And then there are aggregate fruits, which are like a bunch of droops clustered together, like raspberries or blackberries. And strawberries are like kind of aggregate fruits, but more like accessories because the seeds are on the outside instead of enclosed within mm-hmm. it. Um, so those are all like roughly lumped under Fruits and there are many sub debates. Like mm-hmm. strawberries aren't berries; they're accessory aggregate fruits. Uh, but I find that to be less interesting. Well, I think there's yeah. there's nothing that us non science people like to argue about more. Like one of the top ten things is what is and isn't a fruit. So this has been yeah. very helpful. <laughs> they're all fruits, basically. Right. Well, and like there there are some things that aren't fruits, and this is where like vegetable comes in, and then everybody's like, well, the, uh, what's a vegetable? It's just like a part of a plant you can eat. So a fruit is also a vegetable, kind of. Mm-hmm. But there are vegetables that aren't fruits, like carrots aren't fruits. Fruit is specifically referring to like the ovary of a plant. Vegetable can refer to like anything else. So like if you look at a plant, like even a, a cherry tree, the cherry is the fruit and then everything else on the cherry tree is vegetative material. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard this explained by Hallie Casey on the One to Grow On podcast and it's like stuck in my brain. She's so great. Where like the bark is vegetative material and the leaves are vegetative material, but we don't eat them so we wouldn't call them vegetables. Mm-hmm. But like that is the difference between fruit and vegetables. So in the way that Hank said, like spinach are leaves or carrots are roots. Mm. Or, like, potatoes are starches and tubers. Yeah. Uh, we, like, classify them all as vegetative material, a.k.a. a vegetable. And are they there to get eaten? Is that what they're there for? Why are they so tasty? They are there to get eaten. Okay. Oftentimes, the goal of the fruit, this isn't always the case, but the goal of the fruit is to get eaten okay. um, so that then the seed will get pooped out somewhere else and, and the food will be distributed. So we're doing our we're doing our work. Yeah. Eating those strawberries so we can poop out strawberry seeds and then grow lots of strawberry plants at the sewage treatment plant. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't have your strawberry poop corner of your yard? Yeah. 
Is that just us? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One day of the year, we only eat strawberries, and then we poop there, and then it's just like, wow, look at those great strawberries that grew. <laughs> so that's how you got to do it. You have one day where you have devoted to each vegetable. That's how farming works. <laughs> Farmers just have really, really strict diets where they're like, oh, man, okay, kids, yeah. get into gear. Today is wheat day, oh, and I yeah. know it's kind of boring, but we need Yeah, we can't crops. grind it up for a diet. You got to eat it whole. And that's what attracts. Is it's just a portable toilet that drives you yeah, up and down. Yeah, correct. And it has a hole exactly in the right. seat. God, we worked it all out, you guys. This has been SciShow Tangents. <laughs> <laughs> Sari, where does, where does the word fruit come from? Well, uh, it's kind of like you said, where it started out as any product that are useful to humans or animals that's like oh. grown from the earth. Oh, wow. Hmm. The fruits of your labor. But also, it came from Latin fructus, which meant an enjoyment, a delight, oh. a satisfaction. Oh. Uh, in addition so to, so that's like, why tomatoes aren't a fruit. <laughs> yeah, are you delighted by it when you I'm eat not it? Really when you delighted it in your mouth? by it. It's a fruit. Yeah. yeah, and that means that it's time for our first game of the show. Our quiz this week is a brainstorm. So with a brainstorm, I give Sam and Sari a question that has multiple answers, and then you have to try and guess some of the answers going back and forth, and you get a point for every one you get. And if you get it wrong, then you don't get a point, but I'll let you keep going for a while until it seems like... <laughs> like until, <we're> <laughs> until it seems like we're not getting any more, <laughs> like okay. basically. So in round number one of brainstorm, we got figs for bats versus birds. So because of the relationship between eating fruits and seed dispersal, which we just talked about, scientists have hypothesized that frugivores, the animals that eat fruits, have shaped the evolution of fruits. They call this hypothesis dispersal syndrome, and the idea is that fruits evolved traits that correspond to the ways that animal species might see the world around them. The hypothesis is pretty neat, but it's also difficult to prove. One of the studies that has provided evidence for dispersal syndromes came about in 2010 when researchers compared figs eaten by birds versus figs eaten by bats at a research site in Papua New Guinea. By studying the fig species preferred by birds and bats, the researchers identified six fruit traits that were preferred by bats over birds and that could be connected to differences in their physiology and behavior. What are the traits of the fruits that they uncovered? Can I go first? If you want to. Skin thickness. Is that the kind of thing we're looking for? That's the kind of thing we're looking for. I'm going to give it to you because one of them is hardness. So the hardness of that's, the fruit, which does seem involved in the skin thickness. So thick we'll lump thickness is. in with hardness and we'll, you'll, I'll give you that one. Okay. The aroma. Like aroma the is correct. Bats ate smellier fruit than mm. birds because birds have a worse sense of smell. What mm. do bats like? They're my favorite animal. I should be more in touch with this. <laughs> bats like, I don't know, color. Yeah, color is one. Oh, great. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only other one I can think of, so I'm Yeah. Bats ate fruits that were lighter in color and were green or yellow, and birds ate fruits that were more red and contrasted more from their background. That's all backwards. Bats should be eating the reddest fruits. You have take that up with them. Okay. Sorry? <laughs> uh, size? Size is one of them. Bats <sighs> ate larger fruits than birds because bats can eat oh. their food in pieces because they have teethies. Yes. Uh, juiciness, is that one? Juiciness is not Damn it. one. Fuzziness? Are figs fuzzy? 
Fuzzy is a great idea, but no, fuzziness did not make the list. Who knows? We'll have to we'll have to investigate fuzziness and juiciness further. <laughs> I'll give you each one more crack at it. Pass. Like age or ripeness of the fruit? That's a good thought, but no. The ones that you missed were where it grows on the tree. So bats ate fruit that grew out from the trunk further from foliage Ah. because they usually gather fruit in flight or by crawling to the fruit while birds usually grab while perched on the tree. And also the the peduncle length, that's the stalk. (laughs) Excuse me. Uh, The the stalk that holds on to the fruit is called the peduncle. No. Bless you. Couldn't be. (laughs) And that's like fruits with longer peduncles. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, who can blame them? So I don't know why you guys missed the peduncle length. How could we? You know, me and Sam, the one thing that unites the science expert and the everyday man uh, is the peduncle. Passion for peduncle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> P for P. <laughs> the P for P. That's what they call it. Round number two is seed dispersal superlatives. So animals are great at dispersing seeds, but not all equally good at it. If you don't eat a lot of fruit or you don't spread the seeds very far away in a way that protects them, you're not ultimately going to do a lot for the fruit. From 2015 to 2016, researchers observed animals eating the large fruit of the Platymitra macrocarpa in Vai National Park in Thailand, and then they looked to see the fate of the seeds of the fruit. Based on their results, what were the top four animals when it came to dispersing seeds? So you're going to try and give me four frugivorous animals from Thailand. And it's a big, it's a big fruit. Flying foxes, like the, the really big bats. I love that for you. No. No, she... Oh. <laughs> Um, I'm so excited. <laughs> some kind of deer, maybe. Is there some kind of deer? That's a points for Sam. Wow. Yes, deer is one of them. The Sambar deer ate a lot of fruit. They tended to spit out the seeds, leaving them more vulnerable to beetle infestation, but they were one of the top four. All right. You scared? Yeah, I am, because I can't think of more animals. A bird? Does Is that too vague? Do I'm going to gonna tell you it's not going to be a bird. These, these fruits oh, are too big. Gosh. There are big birds. Okay, like a, like an ape? Yeah, a I'll, I'll give you that. A gibbon. The gibbon is one of the four. They are on the smaller size in the list, but they both ate a lot of fruit and spread it well throughout the forest. Hmm. So good. they're good seed scatterers. Thank you to the gibbons. All the ones that are left on the list are bigger than gibbons. Okay, okay. Are there elephants in Thailand? Elephants is correct. Yes. Amazing, Wow, Sam, Sam that's impressive. <laughs> elephants were the top seed dispersers. They did not yes. visit the tree often, but when they did, they ate a lot of fruit and the yeah, seeds ended up in their dung where it was protected from infestation and was more likely to become a seedling. They're good at eating, they're good at walking, and they're good at pooping. So that's all you yeah. need. Warthogs? Love it. Maybe? Warthogs also sounds great, but it is not the final... <laughs> Seed disperser, which was bears, Asiatic sun bears, Ah. uh, also didn't Ah. visit very often, but the seeds ended up their dung and so were protected. And the researchers weren't able to monitor seed survival in bear dung. So we don't know how it compares to elephant dung and protecting the seeds, but probably pretty well. I don't know why they weren't able to monitor the seed survival in bear dung. Maybe because there were too many bears around. (laughs) And finally, we've got round number three, your final round. 
our fruit-eating fish. We've focused on animals that eat fruit by land or by air, but there are also fish that are happy to eat fruit that fall into the water. And the fact that some species can hold the fruit in their guts for a really long time while swimming around makes them useful in dispersing seeds over long distances, though overfishing, damming, and deforestation threaten their ability to do so. Almost 300 species of frugivorous fishes have been identified, including piranha, catfish, and carp species, which have been reported throughout Africa, Southeast Asia, and South America. Fruit-eating fishes have also been reported in six European countries. What countries are they? Oh, I was cataloging all the fish I knew. (laughs) (laughs) I was too. I was like, salmon, (laughs) trout. (laughs) In Europe? Spain. Spain is a correct answer. France. France is a correct answer. Shoot. Uh, Italy. Italy is not on the list. Mm. Germany? No way. That's too far up there. All right. You you only get get one incorrect guess, so now you have to get it right or we're out. What do you got, Sam? mm, Belgium. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. I'm sorry. Portugal? That's Portugal, weird. you would think, since it's oh. right there with Spain, but it's not on the list. We have oh, uh, no. we have Poland and the Netherlands and Greece and the United Kingdom, which we're putting in Europe huh. geographically anyway. Congratulations, you two. I think you did remarkably well with that round. Yeah, I felt good about that one. It was fun. It was stressful, but I think all good games are a little <laughs> bit stressful. Yeah. And don't really have rules that make sense. <laughs> Sam came out one point ahead wow. in our brainstorm portion of the show with five points to series four. Yeah. Yeah, Sam, you got a lot going for you. Is the rest of that sentence besides being really smart? (laughs) Is that what you're implying? No, no. That's not at all what I meant. (laughs) You know a lot of things. You got a good brain on your shoulders. Next up, we're going to take a short break and then it'll be time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Merriam and Webster... (laughs) 
<laughs> used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary-defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, They sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks, and we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850+, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not (laughs) what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea and mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. All right, everybody, get ready for the fact off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind. After they've presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. Sam comes in with a little bit of a lead, but that could easily be trounced by a very, very good fact from Sari. To decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. We've just discussed how a strawberry is not a berry. It's not even a fruit. It is an aggregate fruit, meaning it's several fruits growing from one flower. What we think of as strawberry seeds are actually the fruits. So the seeds are like a little encased little thing. How many fruits are on an average strawberry? Oh, my God. Sarah, you're going to do that thing where you like... Make a mental map of a strawberry <laughs> and yeah. then you, <laughs> you just like bend it apart until it's a Mercator <laughs> projection and then you mentally weigh each section and then you yeah. can get the exact number. She's rotating 400 strawberries in her head, taking the <laughs> average of all of them. <laughs> um, I did eat strawberries with lunch today, so I'm like trying to imagine one of those, about <laughs> like the average strawberry. I'm going to say 100. Sam appears to have a pencil out. I was right. I was doing some math. Yep. <laughs> uh, 300. All right. So so uh, Sam has said 300. Sari has said 100, which presents a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is all, always mathematically possible. <laughs> but I'm not sure how to move forward from here. <laughs> 
The answer is 200, which means you're equally close. So since you both were equally distant from the answer, earlier in the episode, I listed three types of frugivorous fishes that I did not spend a lot of time talking about. Can you tell me any one of them? Oh, I was completely checked out. (laughs) (laughs) I blocked it out once I finished the question. Koi? Is a koi one of them? No, it's close though. Damn you it. heard you heard something. Carp? I did. Carp. Okay, Sari. You decide who goes first. I'll go first, shamefully. <laughs> <laughs> One topic of conversation that inevitably comes up at summer picnics is the watermelon thump. So in my case, my mom would go through a market and hold up watermelons and tap them mm-hmm. and listen to them and then mm-hmm. say, Sari, see, this is what a ripe one sounds like. Or this one is no good. It's mushy. Or hmm, they picked this one too early. Not ripe, not sweet and juicy. As a <laughs> child, I was like, okay, mom, and didn't think more of it. But since we're doing fruit this week, I wanted to see if there was any scientific basis to the idea that you can hear if a watermelon is good without having to cut into it. And there is. So physically, when you tap an object and it makes noise, it's because your tap pushes in the molecules, which makes them deform and spring back. And those wiggles create vibrations in the air, which then vibrates your eardrums. This isn't something you can easily see with like a wall when you tap it, but you Mm -hmm. kind of can with like a squishy couch cushion or a musical instrument. So some objects are made of multiple substances, like how a drum has a membrane and then an inner chamber of air, or how a watermelon has a hard rind and a fleshy inside. And in these cases, the sound you hear can kind of tell you what the structure of the inside of an object, like a watermelon, is, Hmm. if you tap a bunch of watermelons for comparison. So the first thing that a watermelon thump can tell you is if it feels like a note with a pitch, kind of like hitting a drum, or a dull thud. And the dull thud probably means that there are different textures throughout the inside or air gaps, and it's asymmetrical and probably mushy or overripe or bad for some reason. And the second thing is that a more ripe but not yet overripe watermelon has denser flesh than a not ripe one. So the vibrations will be slower and the sound will be lower if you thump a ripe melon as opposed to an unripe melon. And to some extent, the sound varies depending on the size of the fruit, because bigger fruits mean lower sounds, but there is a gradual progression of sound changes based on ripeness. And if you don't have a parent to hit watermelons with you and train you on what a good one sounds like, what do you do? There may be an app for that, I think. I haven't actually checked if it's public, (laughs) but scientists at least tested one. And it's for people who don't have a good ear for sound and in noisy places like markets and or just to test if it's a thing. Um, And multiple studies, at least one from August 2013 and one from February 2015, have measured sounds or vibrations from watermelons that had been thumped, and their acoustic-based methods are able to correctly classify ripe and unripe watermelons with an overall accuracy of 89% and 95% respectively. They didn't get into sweetness or juiciness or overripeness, so there are still melon secrets out there passed down through generations, but maybe someday there will be watermelon-thumping robots or AI helping us pick our fruit. A watermelon in particular feels like a remarkable achievement. That's Mm -hmm. a tremendous piece of food. It does seem like something that was built not by nature in some weird way. It's too perfect and candy-like and delightful. Well, in some ways it is not. You know, we we worked together with nature to create it. Mm -hmm. We worked to help make it as big and, and juicy and beautiful as they are. So the thump is real. Yeah. I've always, like, kind of doubted it. Mm-hmm. But also bonded with other people whose parents did this. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of immigrant parents uh, 
acts like a thing. My mom's from Malaysia and Sylvia's dad is from Spain and they both do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, like thump the melons. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's it's like a it's a real thing, which I guess makes sense if enough people talk about well, urban yeah. legends. Never mind. <laughs> if enough people talk about something that doesn't make it real. <laughs> no. All right, Sam, what you got? Picture this. You're feeling a little peckish. Are you picturing it? You're hungry. I'm picturing it. So you take a peek in the old fruit bowl, and what do you see but a bunch of moldy, smelly fruit? Yucca, you say. And heck, no one could blame you for thinking that almost all other animals would say yucca to that fruit as well. And, in fact, science seems to back up the conventional wisdom that an animal would rather eat something that hasn't been infested by a fungus. There were a a few pretty influential studies done mostly in the 70s that concluded that fungus rots of fruit in order to make it unappetizing to other organisms so that those organisms avoid those fruit and they can have it all to themselves. And that's basically been the final word on it until 2017 when a study was published that potentially changes everything. So citing the fact that many of those fungus fruit studies were performed with like pretty limited parameters, like almost all of them were about captive birds and berries, uh, this team performed a new experiment. First, they found two orange groves in two different parts of the world, Brazil and Spain, where they knew a large variety of animals from birds to rabbits to wild boar hung out all the time eating fruit. So the team placed oranges under the trees of the orange grove. Some are infected with penicillium, which we make penicillin out of i think uh which is a common orange infecting fungus and some weren't and they watched what the animals did so the fungus infected oranges were like white and fuzzy and disgusting looking uh what they found was that fruit eating vertebrates that came to this grove seemed to strongly prefer the fungus infected fruit to what the team called the intact fruit by a pretty huge margin so in brazil the fruit eating animals preferred the fungusy fruit by two times but in spain it seemed like they preferred the fungus fruit by almost 21 times. That's not how I feel. I I almost always prefer the non-fungusy fruit. I might even say always. You're not a nasty old animal. Uh, (laughs) So when certain fungus like penicillium rot fruit, they release volatile organic chemicals, aka smell chemicals, right? Is that what those are pretty much? Uh, And the fruit gets all soft and mushy. Those are like the two main things that happen. So researchers think that these two byproducts of rotting have developed possibly to attract seed dispersing animals. So the smells make the fruit easier to find. And some Mm -hmm. of the specific smells like ethanol can signal to an animal that fruit is full of sugar and worth eating. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the mushiness makes it easier to eat. So they observed like little mice and small birds who otherwise couldn't puncture the orange's skin being able to to rip it open and eat it. Um, And they even suggested that it was possible that the animals were eating the penicillium-infested fruit to medicate themselves. They didn't really follow up on that anymore, but it's possible. Uh, And it seems like penicillium and other microorganisms that make the rotten fruit more desirable just live in the outer layers of the fruit, and they don't actually spoil the pulp of the fruit. So pretty much Mm. they're making the packaging of the fruit more sweet smelling and desirable and leaving the good stuff inside super tasty. And this process ends up being beneficial to everybody. Pretty much the animals get to eat fruit, including fruit. They might not have been able to eat normally. Mm -hmm. The plants get their seeds pooped out all over the place and the fungus get to hitch a ride like on the fur or inside of the animals and will hopefully be deposited near where the new trees will grow so they can keep doing their fungus thing. Okay, so, but 
is not bad for you to eat really moldy orange. I've kind of feel like I've been I've been sold this this version of reality where you definitely shouldn't eat moldy fruits. But but the, these mice and deer are just like, nah, it's Well, good. they can also eat like raw meat and poop and stuff. Yeah, they eat a lot of things <laughs> okay. we don't eat. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere along the way, we decided we weren't going to eat raw meat and poop anymore. So we made our choice. So now I must choose between uh, your acoustic methods for predicting a ripe watermelon 90 to 95% of the time, or a study that found that animals prefer to eat the moldy fruits and that this is uh, all part of the circle of life and it's advantageous apparently to everyone. I think I have to go with Sam. I think I have to go with oh, Sam because yeah. it's, very, it's very counterintuitive and also, uh, but, but once explained, makes perfect sense. It's one of my favorite types of fact. Which means, Sam, congratulations for being the winner of wow. this episode of SciShow Tangents. About time. And now it's time to ask the Science Couch, where we've got some listener questions for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. The question comes from at Joseph J. Nathan, who asks, what the heck happens when a fruit ripens? Which is a great question, mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, so here's this fruit, it, it tastes bad, and then like, <laughs> so, like something occurs, and it turns into mouth delight. After it's been and, picked, even it can happen. Yeah, something's happening inside, with no input from outside. My banana mm-hmm. turns from like a not very tasty thing into a perfect, perfect little delight. So there are actually two different kinds of fruit. Uh, divided into like two rough categories based on how they ripen. And this Mm. is really interesting to me because I also have never thought about it. So there are climacteric fruits, which is where ripening leads to a burst of ethylene gas or ethylene hormones. Mm -hmm. Mm. That is commonly used in the food industry, like the food storage industry, where they pick underripe bananas or apples or avocados and then when they're ready to ripen them, they expose them to ethylene gas. It's also why when bananas are touching each other, they like get brown spots because like those fruits are continuing to produce ethylene and that is a ripening hormone. And so they're, the climacteric fruits use ethylene to ripen themselves, but also respond quite strongly to external ethylene. But then there are non-climacteric fruits where ethylene production doesn't go up during ripening. It needs to stay on the plant. So these are things like citruses or grapes or strawberries that you cannot really ripen by force. They ripen best and most on the vine, so you don't want to pick them too prematurely. And and we just don't know what they do. Uh, <laughs> they I was reading multiple papers on this, and it's just like ripening in non-climacteric fruits is not well understood. Like strawberries, <laughs> they think it has something to do with hormones called auxin and abscisic acid, but then they're like, these are totally different than what we found in grapes. And so it oh. seems like there's a bunch of different ways that non-climacteric fruits reach maturity. And, and what is actually happening inside of the thing? Like, is there, like, there's just a bunch of stuff that turns from one compound into a different compound. And I imagine a lot of that is like starches turning into sugars because like it's getting sweet now. Yeah, that's one big, there's like three main things that happen as a fruit ripens. So one is starch gets broken down into sugars, like you said. One is there is a decrease in acidity and bitter things. In, in some fruits, there are like alkaloids or tannins that keep it bitter and may act as like a pest defendant. So that Bugs don't eat the unripe fruit, and they can stay nice and appealing for the animals that they want to eat them later, Mm -hmm. want in quotes. And then the other thing that they do is they soften when they get riper. So enzymes dissolve sugars in the cell wall, and the 
like the fluid pressure changes inside. Mm. Yeah. So that it like gets more watery, but like higher pressures to keep the fruit firm and juicy. And then when it's done maturing or it's harvested, then it loses water over time, which causes a loss in that pressure again. And that's why like like fruits get wrinkly uh-huh. over time because they like swell up to be juicy when they're most ripe. And then that water just has nowhere to go besides out. And what a, what a sort of like little ballet dance that has to happen right when the seed is ready to get dispersed. Like, mm-hmm. I'm ready. Come get me. Because like they don't want to. The plant doesn't want to produce any more like sweetness or juiciness than it has to. So right. has to all happen at exactly the right time. Mm-hmm. And then you get a cherry and it was all worth it. I've tried before, but I've never eaten enough cherries to have diarrhea. How come? <laughs> Am I just more powerful? Yeah, you're just good at absorbing all that water. Is that what it is, the water? It's probably like the water and the sugar because like eating a lot of candy makes your poops weird too. Mm, not mine. Look, maybe maybe you just have perfect b- poops, bud. Maybe I do. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever gotten diarrhea in your lifetime? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at LethargicGeorge, at IMayBeHuman, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's super easy to do that. First, you can go to Patreon.com slash SciShowTangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes of our show, Q and bidet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm embracing it now. I like it again. All right, we're in. If you don't want to do that, uh, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes. Our social media organizer is Paola Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Deborah. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. The medlar fruit has been known throughout history by names like the open arse because it looks like a butthole. Their seeds have been found in the remains of a Roman toilet, and the fruit was likely popular in medieval times because they're harvested in December, which would make for a good source of sugar in winter. But if you eat them right away, you can get really sick. You have to let them ripen until they're practically rotten looking. And while some say they taste delicious, one medieval writer said, quote, the medlar is not worth a turd until it's ripe. And then it tastes like shit. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. I love these boys. That's some good medieval writing right there. How does it make you sick? What are the symptoms? My guess is diarrhea. (laughs) They look like they're already halfway to diarrhea. I got it. Yeah, that's the whole thing. You should try eating one, Sam, and see if you get diarrhea. Let's just test the limits of my body. (laughs) 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 It's our new YouTube show. Will this give Sam diarrhea?